On this episode of the podcast, the heartbreaking reality that I squandered my youth, we hatch a scheme to steal the intellectual property of our guest, and Jared gives day-old stolen food to the homeless. I'm Jared Nichols. I'm Paul Tulin. And this is the best pandemic ever. Hello and welcome everybody to another episode of the Best Pandemic Ever podcast. It is a dreary, cold, nasty day in North Carolina, and uh, I've chosen to spend that time with Paul Tulin. Uh, I'm the host of the show. Paul is the co-host of the show. <laughs> oh, yeah. You never miss an opportunity. Never. Uh, never. Nope, never yeah. miss an opportunity. Low self-esteem creates quite the motivator for me. So, yeah. Anyway, we have got a special guest today. This is, uh, I would say, the youngest guest we ever had on the show. And you might actually be the youngest guest we ever have on the show because there's not too many kids. When I looked at your resume, I was like, gosh, I mean, how many kids do this? You know, yeah. this is pretty impressive. So uh, joining us today is, is Suffolk Bumpelli. And I'm actually going to let Paul talk a little bit more about how he got connected with us, why he's on the show, because he is also uh, lucky to live in the Pearl of the South in Fayetteville, North Carolina, just like Paul Tulin. So, Paul, why don't you go ahead and tell us how this, this well, all came about? Yeah, I'll start with why. I'll start with why Southwick's on the show, because we want to be able to say that we knew him when. We want to be the guys right. to say, oh, yeah, oh, of course. Well, it's Southwick, about us. When he first started out, he was on our show first. Yeah. Because the simple fact of the matter is he's going to go places. He's going to have an impact. He's going to make a difference in the world. Because if you're already doing that at the ripe old age of 17? Yes, sir. Yes, 17. At, at the ripe old age of 17, which... Look, we don't really need to go into what me and Jared Nichols were doing at the age of 17. It no, doesn't we don't. Matter. We do not It was to really it. important and significant. It was. We don't want to drag you down. Required a security clearance, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I, I can tell you this much. It probably wasn't the kind of things that uh, Sothbeck was doing. So I actually um, – I was actually – Introduced to Sophic through a mutual friend, the, the swim coach on my son's swim team. is also a friend of my wife. They teach together. And she said, listen, I know what the show is all about. I listened to it, and I know just the guy you need to talk to because he's been – he has taken the last year and completely turned it on its head. He's done a bunch of remarkable things, and that's what we're here. That's why we, that's why we invited him, and that's uh, what we're going to try to discover today. So welcome. It's good to have you. Thanks for having me. Uh, that was quite an introduction. I don't think – I deserve that much. I do screw around at 17, but good. Uh, good. I, I try to also use my time wisely. So, yeah. So, uh, I think we could start off with um, the mask class program. So, what well, wait, we, wait, before we get into that, let's yeah. let's let people learn a little bit about you. You know, yeah. I mean, nobody really knows. Yeah, we we want to know kind of the story of Sophic. You know, okay. you mentioned it before the show where you guys came from Philadelphia. So give us a little bit of background before we reveal the remarkable work you've been doing. All right, sure. So I was born in Bronx, New York City. Um, we moved to Philadelphia and then Fayetteville. I've been here, I think, 14, 15 years. Um, so there isn't much to talk about from my past, but I can talk about what I want to do in the future because I'm just 17. So like... Well <laughs> uh, I'm just laughing because you're like Bronx, Philadelphia, Fayetteville. Which one of these is not like the other? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I guess my parents wanted to quiet down a little bit and come to a little smaller place when we were growing up. I think it was smart because it's been really nice here. It's kind of quiet. A lot of people say they don't like Fayetteville, but I really liked it so far. 
And what yeah. is it that that's good? I mean, you're you're almost a native. You know what I mean? Like, and it's true. Like, it gets a bad rap a lot of times, but um, you know, we always say, my wife and I always say, one of the great things about Fable is the people. I mean, it's not bucolic. It's not pretty. There aren't mountains and the beach and stuff like that. But I mean, what is so? What is it about? From your perspective, you're a pretty young guy. What is it about Fable that has really appealed to you? Yeah. So I would say. Like first the geography, like in other places, um, you're not. We're really close to the beach. We're also close to the mountains. We can go anywhere we want. But then Fayetteville itself, I feel like if I go out in the street for a run, like everyone will just give me a wave or something. But if I'm if I drive an hour out of here or like go to Raleigh or someplace, no one will give you a second look. I I don't know if that's special to Fayetteville, but that's what I've noticed. People like really are friendly around here. Um. And then there might not be a lot of stuff to do around here, but the friends you get are pretty close, unless they're in the military, and then they might go. But um, I've had a lot of friends I've had since, like, kindergarten, preschool. So that's what I've enjoyed about the place. It's like it's like the, the stability, basically, which I kind of like. So one of the things we talk about a lot on the show is the, um, is the distinction between the way the world is depicted in – the information ecosystem, so on the news and on social media, and the way the the um, the the world actually is out on the street. So, and you're in a you're you're in kind of a unique position, right? So, what's your ethnic background? Yep. So, my parents were born in India, uh, yep. South India. Um, they he they got married and then they moved to the UK and then they came to the US. And yeah, I was born in New York City, which is the first city that they were in. And then that's how we that's how we've been. But I've been pretty connected to like India because my parents made it a point to travel back almost every year. Obviously, 2020 we couldn't have done that, but we're planning on going this summer. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like I'm pretty connected, and that's I, I I think that's a pretty powerful thing to have that connection to like your homeland. So yeah. So when you so when you go out and walk around in Fayetteville, go to the grocery store, do you feel do you feel tension? Do you feel like people are confrontational to you because of your ethnicity or is that not the reality? Um, there's obviously certain cases where that is, but you can't judge the average person off of that. I think the vast majority of people from Fayetteville or even in the South, they're extremely kind and they have that ability to be nice to you. But like, there's obviously your, those, those certain interactions are what might stand out in your memory. But 99.99% of interactions are positive, and those are the ones I try to remember. Because I, 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 like, to, I like to look on the bright side of things, like you guys said, and I, I feel like that's what my experience with Fable has been. Mostly people have been positive to me. Where, yeah. where, does, where does that tendency to look on the bright side come from, do you think? Um, maybe – I think that's just something my parents put in me maybe because they – they want they want to have a positive outlook on life. Um, I think maybe it's inherent. Some people always try to look on the bright side, but that's that's what I've been brought up with to like have a positive outlook. Yeah, I Go like ahead, that. Jared. No, that Jared. makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, when you just look at your background and where your parents came from, and you look, you map the journey. Like, you, yep. you, know, you don't leave home unless you have ideas and and believe that there's something better, something more, something that you can take more of an active role in creating. So it makes total sense. I love that. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm interested there, Paul, you went, you went right for the whole, uh, 
you know, debates on on wokeism and everything else, man. Nicely done. Great. Well, you know, <laughs> usually you like to prime the pump for a little bit. Say, you know, and this is something that Paul and I've talked about before many times. I grew up as an army brat. And because, you know, these conversations, especially around with young people and everything else, so much is being focused on identity and, you know, and uh, and race and all of these things that are being hyped up in the media. Uh, the way I grew up from the age of two all the way through high school, I, I grew up around every nationality you can think of. Um, and it was just normal for me. And so Paul and I've talked about that, the military culture um, and just, you know, trying to make sense of a lot of the, the overarching discussions uh, and then finding a lot of it to be really disingenuous that, you know, yes, there are real problems that need to be fixed, but at least the current, uh, uh, you know, screaming and shouting in the media is not designed to fix any problems. It's just designed to grab attention and to, you know, get everybody upset and outraged because attention is what drives ad dollars. Uh, so, but I think it's always important for people, whether you're talking about the pandemic, you're talking about uh, your own personal experience, everybody's personal experience is valid and getting to hear personal experience helps people, I think, connect with what's actually true and not true. Like let's, something Paul says all the time before the pandemic, put your phone down. I'm going to mess this up. Go outside, hug your neighbor. What was it, Paul? Yeah, yeah. no, it's turn off your phone. Uh, turn off the TV, put down your phone. If you want to know what the world is like, go out in it. Right. Yeah. So it's actually about, you know, going out and, and being, but anyway, you know, um, we've got a couple of guests on here. Uh, so our, a guest and a friend of ours, um, Jamie Mustard, African American guy. You know, we had that. You know, we always try to have these these conversations about, hey, look, what is what is the real experience? Is 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 it this, um, you know, very very tense, very hostile? You know, everybody's kind of suspicious of one another, and and we never find that. And so you're in a unique position because of your ethnicity to be able to say, well, yes, it is, or no, it isn't. So that was, you know, I don't know why I went there first, but I think we get that out of the way. Oh, yeah, yeah it, sure. It's yeah. it's a good discussion. Like, those things should be discussed rather than pushed under the surface. They need to be talked about because, obviously, if you stifle something and put it underground, it's going to come up in nastier ways in the future. And so, like, obviously, if it does, if it supports your idea or if it doesn't, it still needs to be discussed. And, like, I'm fine with that. I think I think it's a good topic to go over. Yeah. How do you feel, like, with, you know, with – with your generation, because you know, here, here's what'll happen. So I'm, I'm, I'm the oldest here. Jared's second oldest, and you're by far the youngest, right? By far. And I, and I'll tell you what, what's going to happen when you get to be our age. Most of your peers will complain about the next generation, right? Every, every old person complains about the next generation coming up behind them. But I'm fortunate that I'm surrounded by like the Jack Britt population. For those who don't know, that's the high school where Southwick goes. Um, right. You're a, yeah, you're a Jack Brick guy. Yeah. yeah senior. Yeah. Um, um, and, uh, you know, I'm surrounded by those kids and, and I, and then, you know, I can tell you that that's never, it's never the case. It's, it's always a red herring. The next generation is always going to do great. They get their own, um, you know, they've, they've got their own way of looking at things. They're going to have their own achievements, all those kind of things. Um, but you know, everybody's always beating up on your generation. Yeah. You know, you're all entitled. You're all lazy. You're all this, you're all that. And I don't see any of that. What, what is the, what is the feeling amongst your peers? Like, how do you feel amongst your friends in terms of your tolerance for one another, your diversity amongst the, one another, your acceptance, all those kind of things? Is it is it is it as bleak as people are trying to make it out to be? I suspect it's not. Yep. So I think for most kids in my generation, like, for starters, I feel like I've separated myself from the younger generation even now, like that TikTok generation that all go on that but i've obviously i probably still just statistically the same generation but 
for like my age group, I would say they push their ideas on social media. They put it on their Instagram, their Twitters. And I feel like there's obviously that woke culture, but there's, there's still, there's still division, but I feel like it's 2020 that's brought that out. It's the, that not having that human connection, that real world experience that has brought out some of this. And I think, I think 2020 is in, is unique in that we still had all that connectivity, but we didn't have that human connection. So like you said, my generation, um, I feel like there's going to be some changes in the coming years, but obviously that we always look at the next generation as being negative, but I, I agree. I think in the coming years, they'll, we'll get better and we'll figure ourselves out. That's very wise. I mean, you know, just yeah. the, pointing out the facts, like, yeah, the problem is, is the, the human connection. Cause you're absolutely right. I mean, um, and it's not just kids that are stuck in technology and communicate that way. People, mine and Paul's age, you know, now we, we come from generation X. Now, now I'm on the yep. very tail end of generation X. I'm a lot younger than Paul. You know, he's like you know, <laughs> way older, you know? So no, I, I think that's excellent. It's a really positive way to look at it. And, you know, I think, one of the big uh, things you said there was discussion. If we talk about issues, you say, I think it's important to discuss. And that's what we've lost if we pay attention to, you know, the Twitter sphere, what's going on in the media. That's not about discussion. That's about, I'm going to scream in your face and you need to scream back, but we're not actually having a discussion. It's about take sides, uh, you know, state your position in 140 characters and nothing ever gets resolved that way. Uh, so I'm, I'm very encouraged to see, you know, young people like you, who have you've already accomplished more when we start getting into your your resume here but you've already accomplished more than a lot of adults by far you know so yeah, yeah. that's not a joke that's no. actually true yeah so that's, it's really impressive. Be depressing though that's that's actually that's because you've accomplished so much so let's so let's talk about you know your 20 no, no, let's stop let's, for a second Suffolk what do you want to talk about what do you want to ask yeah. me and Paul I mean you got a real great opportunity to ask two knuckleheads here something that's not um maybe we could we could talk about so you talked about you guys were military so like where did you guys come from like where did you guys live for a while yeah jared was actually i mean he grew up as a military yeah, brat yeah i'm an army I, brat yeah you know he was an army brat bounced all over his dad was a chaplain well i don't want to tell his story but and you know my my background was i mean i've been wearing the uniform since uh 1986 um yeah i saw yeah. your expression it's correct <laughs> you should be surprised <laughs> um but uh, yeah, that's, a, that's a compliment. You don't look that old, you know, I don't. I, I do. Make that's a filter. That's, that's a Skype filter. Yeah. man. Yeah. Just wait till you meet him in person. No, yeah. Sorry. And the lighting in here is terrible, too. It's, Normally right. it's, pretty, it's much better. Um, <laughs> but I joined the Army in 1986 in the National Guard. And then I came on active duty just before 9-11. Um, and uh, ironically, I've done most of my time here at Fort Bragg and a couple other places, but a lot of time. So my kids are, you know, Fayetteville natives, too. They were both. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. They were both born here. Womack Army Medical Center. Um, you know, they're they're native North Carolinians. Um, and uh, um, we spent we spent most of our time and 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 the last 24 years or so I've been in special operations. Um, and yeah, this is I mean, if you had asked me 30 years ago, if I would consider Fayetteville home, I'd, you know, I'd have laughed you out of the room. But once you have kids, and they're born here, then that kind of that kind of anchors you to the place, you know. 
um, because they see this as home. I mean, we've left here a few times, come back, but they certainly see this place at home. Um, but I, don't, I mean, I think Jared, I mean, he was from Ohio. What do you consider home? Yeah, I, I mean, well, I consider, well, I consider Charlotte home now when we just get down to it. I mean, we obviously live here, but we really actually enjoy living here. So I grew up as an army brat. Uh, when I was two, my dad joined the army and uh, we moved to Fort Lewis, now Joint Base Lewis-McChord. And, uh, and I always do everything by grade because I don't remember, well, I was this old or it was this year. So I, that's just the way. I think a lot of military brats are that way too. It's like, oh, yeah, I was in this here and this grade and so on. From Fort Lewis, we moved to Hawaii. Uh, and I was there from half a kindergarten to the other half of third grade, which is around the same time that Paul joined the Army. And then uh, – <laughs> and I'm not kidding. And then from there, we went to this other place called Fort Monmouth, New Jersey. We were there for six months. And, and Fort Monmouth, New Jersey is no longer there. Fort Monmouth, New Jersey to uh, the beautiful – uh, Pearl of the Southwest, El Paso, Texas, Fort Bliss. And we were there for about three years, then moved to uh, uh, a base in northern Germany called Garlstedt. And uh, it was up near Bremerhaven in the north part of Germany. We were there for a year, and that was the same time that they started doing the drawdown, which is they started closing a lot of bases. So we were there for a year, and then from there went to southern Germany in a place called Kirchgons, uh, which was close to a base called Gießen, and then to uh, the other pearl of the South, Fort Benning, Georgia, Columbus, Georgia. Oh boy, yeah, I was there for. Uh, we'll never be welcome in Columbus, never. Georgia. No, and my wife up, is from Columbus. We trash it. Oh yeah, man, we trash it. and I will trash <laughs> it again. It is a. Oh, oh, uh, rough. There's plenty of things I'd like to say, but Southwick, your 17 year old ears cannot handle this. <laughs> <laughs> no. So I was there from 10th grade. No, yeah, 10th grade, and then uh, moved to another base called Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. So Fort Lost in the Woods, for those that have been in the military, is out there, uh, is in Waynesville, Missouri. And that's where I graduated high school. And then from there, I've just been, you know, I've been bouncing around, got married, um, went back to Georgia, North Carolina, and, and here we are. So, yeah, that's the so, life of an army You just made me think of something. Oh, but you're talking about high school. Sathvik, what's your impression and experience been like with, uh, with virtual learning? Because Cumberland County has been neck deep in virtual learning. And i got to be honest um, – you know, I've watched a lot of the uh, Cumberland County school board deliberations, and I'm yep. sure that a lot of those people on the school board were wonderful educators who dedicated their lives to the, you know, the education of children, but are a little bit older now and ill-equipped to deal with a crisis. So, you know, Moore County is back in school. Richmond County's back in school. Scotland, all the counties around us are back in school. Cumberland County is not. So what's been your experience? Like, what, what has it been a, a disaster? Or has it been good? I mean, what? What do you think? Yeah, so I think there's two ways to look at virtual learning. It's like either the personal level and then like like you said, the political board level. So like on the personal level, it hasn't been that bad. Um, back in March, they said two weeks, and I'm like, this is crazy. Like we're gonna <laughs> yes. be back. We're gonna be back in one week. This is not even that bad. Cause back in March, my junior year, I had a whole bunch of competitions lined up for my college apps, and they were gonna be like what set me apart. And then everything got canceled one day. And one day I got like four emails that's saying based on COVID-19, we can't have anything. And what so kind of I, competitions? Um, so Science Olympiad. It's like a science oh, yeah, yeah. competition. Yeah. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. We we're gonna go to the state competition for that. Um Um the North Carolina Science and Engineering Fair, that got canceled. I was gonna go state level for that. Um and then there was some other ones, but they they all got canceled and I'm like, everything's gonna go terribly, but it's fine. It's like 2020 
it was bad, but the virtual learning gave me the time to do these initiatives that like I'm here to talk about. So um, it hasn't been that bad, but like the actual learning aspect, I'm not going to lie. I've slept through some classes, logged on with my camera off. <laughs> um, I, 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 class starts at 8.30. I wake up at 8.25. So it hasn't been terrible, but I'm just kind of done with senior year now. I just want to get to college. Oh, yeah. yeah. And that's been, that's been my experience with that. So it hasn't been terrible. Um, I've definitely missed out on some learning, but it's been okay. I've, I've made the best out of it. That's what I feel like. And then... Yeah. It's like when you're talking about the board level, I think there's a lot of um, personal opinions on that. And I think it should just be driven by science and just like the... Thank you. Yes. Yeah. All, all those decisions should be just driven on what the recommendations are by the scientists because we do not know more than them. They definitely know more than us. So what I've liked is the board has been getting guidance from uh, Duke uh, medical specialists and they've been advising them based on metrics what to do. And I thought that's cool because rather than just um, opinions, they get actual scientific data. So that's what I, that's what I feel like from the board level, at least. You know what? That's 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 pretty mature and open minded, and probably a better. I mean, I'm making I'm making assumptions, right? I'm making probably poor assumptions about the decision making of the board. And I mean, um, that's a really good perspective that you actually have the, the, the knowledge to be like, well, you know, they're, they're, they're basing their decisions on, on scientific input and I'm making an assumption that they're basing it on their own opinion. So, you know, yeah. a little, well, l- a little bit of eye opening, um, which is no surprise from the, you know, from the guy who is like changing the world at 17. Right. Exactly. Well, it's, it's like, so I live in Mecklenburg County in Charlotte and, uh, you know, we're, we deal, we're dealing with the same problem. Um, our kids are going back to school on Monday, but they're they're going through this, and this to me doesn't really line up with science. <clears throat> and there's there's a lot, and I of course, these are things that I've read or seen. I was like, okay, I got to go back and actually pull this reference up. So you know, if anybody calls me out on this, I will be happy to post this in the show notes. But uh, when you look at the data about uh, whether or not it's safe for kids to go back to school full time or to go on this this strange hybrid where it's like for two days and then they go home for three days. And then they rotate kids in and out. There's no scientific evidence that says that actually helps to prevent the spread of COVID-19. In fact, um, there's been evidence that shows you're actually creating a greater risk because those three days the kids are not in school, for a lot of parents, they are having to send their kids to a daycare or to somebody's in-home care. So you are magnifying their exposure risk of whatever they go out into the world with, and then they bring it right back into school the following week. And so there's a lot of decisions that have been made, I believe, you know, from the hip of, okay, well, until we know what we know, then we have to hold everybody back. And then when we get new information, it's like, it's just this kind of constant reaction. And we really need to step back and say, okay, uh, what does the science actually tell us? Because I think that is being considered, but then there's also now what is the political policy or what yep. what is the, again, it goes back to what is the Twitter sphere telling us? You know, what, what do we want to avoid? And uh, we don't want to be held liable for something because there's so much opinion and there's so much emotional investment into one direction or the other. And that just muddies the water. So yeah, yep. I, I, I think it's very wise of you, Sopthik, to, to say we should yep. trust the science. <laughs> <laughs> I think our board made the decision a couple of days ago that we're going back to school for sure on March 15th. And so that's interestingly enough, exactly two days after one year that we went virtual. So March 13th, 2020 is when we went virtual 
I think a lot of people across the country went virtual that day, March 13th. I think that's also when like the stock market hit its low. Yeah. And so like, I thought it was interesting exactly like one year after and we're going back. And so like, yeah, we also have the cohorts A and B that we mm-hmm. go back in sections. And so we'll have to see how that goes. Obviously I'd like to have a prom. I'd like to screw around with my friends at school, but if the safety of the community is like, is obviously more important. I can have fun in college too. So that's yeah. more important than the prom. I, that can't be true. <laughs> uh, that can't be true. <laughs> oh man. Well, so on that, so I think you were talking about how you've, taken this situation and done some extraordinary things with it. So just as you were starting to jump into it, the being the podcast and then we, you know, pumped the brakes and said, no, let's get to know you first. And then, yep. you know, uh, you were talking about these mask class for, uh, for masks, obviously. Uh, so, so let's start there. Tell us a little bit about, uh, now that we know more about you and your background, uh, tell us how you just, just decided like, Hey, instead of watching Netflix or playing video games all day, what I'm going to do is I'm gonna go ahead and start to, uh, to create something that can be really useful. Yep. So I saw an idea online. They had made, I think um, it was a university. Um, they made face shields. They put the the thing that goes around the head and they would just staple uh, plastic sheets on. And I remember also seeing somewhere that students had made mask claps to go around the head and take the pressure of the masks bands off the doctor's ears because after 12 hours of wearing those, those dig into their ears like badly. I've seen my dad come home and the masks are really bad because especially with COVID, usually they would just have to wear it in the surgical rooms or near the patients. But with COVID, they have to wear it 24 seven. And so what's really special about JackBrit is we have the um, Integrated Systems and Technology Academy, which is basically like an engineering focus class. And the teacher there, Miss Henrietta Judson, um, she's been ordering uh, 3D printers over the years and students have been able to 3D print stuff. And so I reached out to her. She said, this is a cool idea. Um, draft up a design and we can get them 3D printed. And um, we got, I think, 350 total mask claps sent to Cape Fear. Um, we sent a couple to a South Carolina hospital. And there was one. There was another hospital like an hour out of here. And we sent it to them. And that's where they went. What so was, what, uh, yeah. Sorry, yeah, go what, ahead, Paul. So, so what was the dream of scale? Like what was your – when you started to do this, what did you hope to to achieve? And I, and, and I want to go back – and I'll go back too a little because I really want to understand the mechanics of the clasp a little bit better. Yep. So I I was aiming for about – because I wanted to help, maybe just help out my dad's like office, basically a small office group. It's about like uh, 15 to 20 people. And so we started printing them, and Ms. Judson said we have a whole bunch of – 3D printing material that's going to expire because students are are out and nobody's using it. So she said we might as well use it instead of go to waste. And so we started printing as many as we could. She took them home, the 3D printing um, machines home, and we started getting them printed. And yeah, it just took off from there. We got over to 350 and we used all the material. And Mr. Pope would bring them from Ms. Judson's house. Well, if you don't know Mr. Pope, is the really amazing principal at Jack Britt. He actually was at my uh, at my middle school for a while, and then he went to Jack Britt. Um, and he's a really cool guy, and he helped with the 3D printing process. He talked with the the hospital, and we got that worked out. So, so what's the so describe the mechanics of how the thing actually works? Yep. So, 
obviously the listeners are probably can't see my hands, but it's kind of like there's like notches in a rectangle sheet, a really thin rectangle sheet about maybe an inch across and then eight inches the other way. So, and along the long side, there's notches and the bands can be put on each notch based on the size of your head. And so obviously a bigger head would be put on the, the notches to the outside. And if you need it tighter, you would put it on the notches towards the inside. And so the class would keep the band off the nook of your ear. Was it yeah. original design? Um, I've seen people have made this in the past. And what I did is I added some more notches to it. And I cut out unnecessary material. Like there's a huge block of 3D printing material. And I cut out the center. It, it allowed us to print a lot faster and for a lot cheaper. And... That yeah, that was the main idea of that the um, the design process. We just had to cut out material. We had like ten iterations where we kept making it smaller or bigger because if it's too rigid, it'll just stick on the head and it won't like conform to the shape of the back of your head. And if it's too brittle, it'll just crack every time. So we went through a couple of design. Miss Judson, I would send over emails with a file, and Miss Judson would print them out, and we just test them from there. So what was the limiting factor? Like are are you st- where where is the initiative at now? Yep. So from we finished back uh, a couple months ago and we sent the design over to the FTCC, the local community college. They have way more 3D printers than us, a lot more material, a lot more resources. They said they'd like it, so we sent over the file to them and they've took over and it's been a lot better. I think they I think my dad showed me a hospital um a newspaper where he basically said that they've done over a thousand since then. And so I, I think I'm glad we could have done it from Ms. Judson, but it would just been her always putting that in her, in her room. Cause there's no students in the, to take care of it. So I think it's good that we handed it over to the community college. So, so there's, so there's an element of depending on how you look at it, either innocence, altruism, or naivete. And what I mean by that is a lot of people in your position would have seen dollar signs associated with that. Yeah. They would have figured out how do I patent this and how do I, you know, how do I become a millionaire, not how do I serve the community? How and why did you go down the community road, which thank goodness that you did, um, instead of down the, oh, I think I can become a millionaire. Like, where do you think that comes from, that difference? Because it it is remarkable. That's why people are going to really care about what you do. The mask is great. The clasp is interesting. The fact that you went down the road of benevolence instead of the road of greed is what distinguishes you from many, many, many other people. Yep. So obviously from the beginning, I knew this was never going to be a business or anything. It's not going to be something I can make revenue and profit margins off of. So I knew I wanted to make like the best difference I could. And obviously it's the beginning of a pandemic and I'm making a medical tool right off the is it could be it could be described as a medical tool, and there's no way I'm gonna like charge money on that, especially to my community. And when I'm using the Jackbird resources, there was no way I was gonna do that, especially. And um, I I don't feel like this altruistic, amazing person. I I think I stepped up when I could. I had an idea, and a lot of people helped me about it. It's not just myself, so I can't take all the credit. But I think. I think it was a cool idea and we pushed it to the limits that we could. 
So, and nobody approached you? Nobody came knocking on the door, sniffing around? Because Jared, I can see it in his eyes. He's like, what? No, no, no. <laughs> not mean, no. I don't mean that you're thinking about how to monetize it. I'm thinking you're like, oh, yeah, I can't believe no one came banging on this kid's door to try and figure out how to make a dime on it. Oh, that's yeah. Right. No, that that's true. Yeah, that's um, true. So did anybody approach you? No, nobody approached me about it. We we were approached by a local like newspaper to like just publish it. And we got that published back in April or May. And a lot of people from the hospital reached out to me and Ms. Judson saying thank you. It was really cool. Because we, we also put Jack, JBHS, Jackford High School, on the masks clasps. So I think Mr. Pope oh, was happy cool. about that. Our, <laughs> our, high, our high school got a little bit of recognition. So, so, what, so what's your yeah. big, so what was your big takeaway from the from the entire experience from you know from the you know the idea inspired by probably direct contact with your father's you know struggle with his day to, you know his day to day um, I don't want to say inconvenience that diminishes it somewhat but you know him dealing with that that you saw yeah. firsthand so I mean what was what's kind of your big takeaway from all that Yeah so obviously the overarching idea is that you can make a difference if you try just send out emails. A lot of people have this idea that they can't break into this bureaucracy that's like school boards and hospitals and stuff. But if you just send a whole bunch of emails, people tend to answer more often than you would think. And that's what I took away from that. And then also we had a lot of, I, I had, I got experience with like how to work with these. We had to get like lawyers involved to like not have liability from the hospital for some reason. Yeah, yeah. Like the, like how would this class hurt a, heard a doctor like it's a piece of plastic we live in the united states of litigation my friend i mean that's yep. why healthcare is so expensive in this country is because everybody's looking to sue everybody for something and so that's yeah that makes total yeah. sense yeah. so yeah so mr nagowski the hospital ceo he like um had to talk with the superintendent and they sent over like a just a written up document and everybody had to sign that and yeah i i thought it was a little bit cumbersome like it's it, like makes everything slower but it has its it has its perks, I guess, to make sure nobody gets hurt. But I feel like in some cases it might do more harm than good that that like stifling bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I got I got experience with that. I feel like yeah. uh, again, it, I, again, wisdom. It's, uh, it's funny you don't. You, you, yeah, you're like oh, I just did this thing. You have no idea. So we had a guy on the show, a friend of mine, Nathan Crumpton. He's an Olympic skeleton athlete. Does all this other kind of stuff. International man of mystery. He got involved in the supply chain trying to get PPE into the United States just by, it was serendipitous. He just happened to know some people and they asked if he could help. They were able to, to identify literally millions of masks when there was a, when there was a, uh, a shortage and ran into the experience of hospitals. The few hospitals that actually accepted some of the masks ultimately threw them away because of the risk of, liability so that you were able to overcome that even at a small scale yep that's a much bigger deal than you think it is yep and yeah i i guess so there was in the beginning at least there was a lot of scrambling for supplies and stuff especially medical supplies i remember there's a big craze over getting n95 masks everywhere mm-hmm. and yeah so yeah i agree yeah the bureaucracy has benefits but like you said it can also hurt people in the long run by you said they threw away the masks for liability issues. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. number one, they rejected a bunch. And number two, there was actually occurrences where they threw those things away because they couldn't wow. afford the liability. Yeah, yeah. It's, 
not, not to you know not to depress you well, as a young it, person. But. No, but it's the same idea when when you look at. Uh, if, have you ever worked in a restaurant? Uh, no, most yet. people in our generation. Me and Paul probably did. I mean, I, I worked as a waiter and and I've also worked as a, a cook when I was thinking I wanted to be a chef way back in the day. <laughs> then I then I actually got to work for three days in a five star restaurant and I was like, there's no way in hell I can do this. <laughs> I'll never get to ride my bike. I'll never see anybody. I'll be exhausted. So anyway, that's my you know my personal story there. But uh, if you one of the things that would we would have to do in this one place that I worked, um, it was at a retreat center. We would always take the food we would cook a lot of food and whatever was left over according to the law we're supposed to throw it out we can't yeah. keep it but what we did we had to be a little bit more covert and we actually um got linked up with some of the homeless shelters in the town that i lived in at the time and we said listen we're going to put this stuff out on the back it's going to be completely sealed ready for you to go you guys come pick it up we didn't know you were here you just happened to come and do it because we could be held liable um Number one, if a food inspector or somebody from the county came and saw that we were doing this, it's against the law technically. And it's all against the law because of the fear of being sued if something in your food could make somebody sick at a homeless shelter or whatnot, what, uh, you know, or whatnot. And it is that it's that kind of logic and that fear of being sued that is stifling so much good that can actually be done. Yes, there is a need to protect people from bad practices. 100% agree with that. But the overreach in that or the um, overreaction to it is like, no, you need to waste all this good food because in the off chance somebody gets sick and could sue you, then you're going to be held liable. And it just it, – it does not make sense. It's the same logic in the medical community, same logic in any highly regulated um, industry. There's – common sense needs to come to these places because in a real innovation like what you're doing which is, hey, you're changing the game. You are not just upgrading the back of a phone with a new camera. That's not innovation. You're, you're changing the game. You've changed the game and the experience for the people that are there. That's real innovation. Uh, bureaucracy can stifle that in a heartbeat. You know, yep. said, like, let's slow this thing down. So, yeah. yeah. I think a lot of these regulations come from a good place. Like, there's something bad has happened. Like, I know... In the early like 1900s, they had a lot of fire problems, and then there was fire-based regulations. And they come from a good place, but there has to be a limit to some of them. Like I know the previous administration, he slashed a lot of regulations, California especially. I know there were there were regulations that limited the size of windows in restaurants. Oh yeah, man. And, There's some stupid ones yeah. out there. Well, I'll tell you something to understand the rate, and I think this is important because I didn't understand this until I started going to D.C. about four times a year when I was. Uh, on the board of directors for the National Small Business Association. So we would lobby on behalf of small, medium-sized businesses. And I thought I understood what regulations were. The overarching narrative is, well, if you're for regulations, then you're a liberal Democrat. If you're against regulations, uh, you're a conservative who hates the environment. You know, it's like these these yep. big overarching narratives that, that, are, that don't do justice to really understanding what the issues are. You're right. They come from a good place. But the way that they're incentivized is the problem. Executive regulation comes from the top, and I'm going to simplify this. And then that executive regulation goes down to the state, local levels, all these different bureaucracies. And they are incentivized to enforce the regulation. But the way that they're incentivized is every quarter or so, or some are a little bit longer, they have to come up with new regulations to enforce that regulation. And so they're constantly coming up and tweaking and adding new rules and new regulations because that's what they're told they have to do in order to enforce the executive regulation. And it just becomes this 
this negative feedback loop that doesn't get anything done and just costs small, medium-sized businesses a whole lot of money. Like regulations of the size of windows? Really? What? Yeah. You know? I, it, yeah. So that the whole system needs to rethink and, and take its time and say, hey, how do we actually move the needle and get stuff done, but also protect the consumer, protect the environment uh, without being ridiculous? So, yeah. yeah. The, there's a limit to everything, especially in governmental like affairs. So, yeah. No. So... So, so you, you, you take some time, you decide that you're going to try to be productive and, and, you know, turn, make lemonade out of lemons. Right. And so you have this mask initiative, but that's not enough. That wasn't enough. Yeah. yeah. So you decided to do something else. Yeah. So tell us about the, tell us about the program. Yep. So it was first called the student to student tutoring program. And so I was involved in this club called Mu Alpha Theta, which is like, it's like a math honor society where we tutor students in math at our school. We have to get like 15 hours per year. And I was, I, I was president of that junior or senior year. And so I had a lot of friends that were getting tutored with the program. And they like reached out to me like, virtual school is screwing me over. I'm not learning anything. Everything is terrible. And so I'm like, I can't do anything for my house. What am I supposed to do? And so I got the idea that we could maybe tutor virtually. Like, obviously, this format could work just as well. We could have, like, a whiteboard on the screen. We could explain stuff. And so with my last experience with the masks, I'm like, let us just let me just email straight to the top. And so I emailed our superintendent, Dr. Connolly. And Dr. Connolly, he reached out the next day, and he's like, this is a great idea. Let's put this into action. And I faced some resistance. Like, I didn't get an email back from, like, two weeks. But then I emailed again and again, and then he said, um, let's put you in contact with my academic team. And so I had a couple academic officers, they worked with me, and we started something over the summer that was a smaller scale program than, than what we have now. But it basically, the students that failed classes first semester of 2020, or no, it would be, yeah, yeah. so the, from January to June, um, students that failed then, they took summer remedial courses. And so we basically tutored in that. And we got about like 20 hours of volunteer, maybe just like seven tutors. It was pretty small, but it was a really good like learning step for the program. Yep. So so how many how many people are enrolled in the program now, did you say? Yep. So now the actual program, we took our steps and um, we have 80 tutors, maybe I think 300 to 400 hours and probably 500 students tutored so far. And so, yeah, I think it's picking up, especially in January, we picked up a lot because we started sending out, because um, we get our daily call Sunday um, to all the students in the county. And so we put it on there and we had a big spike in signups and it was really crazy. We had a lot of students sign up and you think it, it'll just help the the students getting tutored, but the tutors are getting volunteering hours where they have literally nothing else to do. And that's been good for them. They've been getting hours for key club. They've been getting hours for national honor society. And we've been, we, that's why we've been getting a lot of tutors easily because no one else has anything else to volunteer in. And, um, it's been helping the teachers. The teachers recommend students that are not doing well in their class or the program. And we got more students that way. So I think it's going to keep picking up, uh, into the future. So what's so 
So what do you want to do with your life? I mean, you've already yeah, accomplished you're a pretty lot. much done. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it changed, yeah. If you compare out. yourself to the average American, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I mean, obviously you have this amazing foundation of, um, of, there's a, there's a lot to unpack about the things that you've done. And I'm sure a lot of people talk to you about this. I mean, not in this format, but just in general, you know, the fact that you, you see past, um, you see past obstacles, you're persistent, you don't allow bureaucracy to, to, um, to discourage you, you know, you, you start these initiatives with a perspective on how can you help others? I mean, that's a pretty sound foundation. Um, so it begs the question, like, what are you going to do with all that? Yeah. Where, where are you headed? So we know when we're like, you know, like I said, when, when you, when you be, when you change the world, we get like, oh yeah, we had that guy on the podcast when he was just a kid. Yeah. So the next step, um, I got accepted to Duke in December. So congratulations. Yeah, nice awesome. to meet you, man. Congrats. You. Yep. So it's close to home. It's really great. And I'm planning on majoring in biomedical engineering and then also having a major in um, economics. Um, and then another great thing about Duke is they have this entrepreneurship and innovation program. So they basically take an idea from initialization all the way to VC stage and um, funding. And I'm thinking about putting an idea in there. And so like what you said about the helping people and often the altruistic like sense, it helps in the entrepreneurial space in the real life startup community because the, the, um, the customer is always first. If you try and work your way around, you'll fail. So you always need to focus on that customer. So if you're trying to help the person, you'll win in the end. So I guess the altruistic sense will help help me in the future in in maybe a different sense. But hopefully I can that's the dream to have a startup in the future. So do you have do you without giving any away anything proprietary or revealing anything that might be that might be stolen by a guy like Jared? Um, <laughs> I'm not asking you, him deep questions. You are here. <laughs> do you do you have an idea for for that for that startup? Yep. So um I'm I want it to be in the biomedical engineering like field, like medical device. That's that's the goal. And right now I I had uh research just recently got published. It's like um, the well, premise... not, you just had research that was recently published. Yes, well, oh, it's going to be published. This interview's in a week. over. This guy's like, yeah. well, never. Yeah. yeah. Where? Where's it getting published? Um, it's in this conference called IE Life Tech. So it's basically a biomedical engineering conference. And <laughs> I, I've had a lot of help in these things. It's not just myself. I've had a no, lot of help. Don't be humble. That makes it worse. No. <laughs> don't be humble. Just be like, yeah. Recent, wait, you didn't do research 17? It's like, no, I was high and playing music. You know, it was great. Yeah. <laughs> it's all about time management, I guess. I can oh, have fun. I can have fun I'm attention deficit. I'm, oh, I tell you what, I'm having an internal crisis here. Go ahead, Southwick. This what is the research. You. What was the research that you had published? Yeah. yeah. So the whole idea is like a, an insole that goes inside your shoe that's able to track fracture healing, um, like from long distances. So the premise is like in rural areas in Africa and Asia. They don't have doctors for hundreds of miles. And so when they get injured, they just leave the fracture how it is. In the U.S., if you get fractured playing soccer, you just go straight to the hospital. They'll set it, and you're all good. But there, if it's offset even an inch, you'll have lifelong disabilities. You can't walk. You can't do anything. And so this research tries to, like, help that. You can, like, track fracture healing from your village and send the data to a qualified doctor, like, Jeez. that's in a big city. Yep. Yeah, that, that sounds like something would be good for soft, Paul. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, God. Yeah, I'm I'm just having trouble wrapping my head around the you know about the scale and scope of 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 Sathbik's innovation at the age of seventeen. I love it. Again, like I, I said at the it. outset, yeah, we so really. Good. I'm not going to say that Jared and I, you know, weren't contributing to society at the age of seventeen. However, define contributing. Yeah, exactly. It's all we relevant. were contributing some things, yeah. but yeah. not in the way that you have been. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's so no, so. Um, uh, do you, so do you think that that's that's wait, wait, the, pause, uh, pause, pause. Paul, are you crying right now? <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. So, yeah. so is is that the? Uh, um, do you have other ideas for 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 different devices? Is this just? Is this the only one? I, I, there's got to be more, right? That's probably. The uh, yeah, I got to keep it closed, but there's there's not actually many other things so far. Like, I want to try and expose myself to as much as I can in college because the way to find those problems is to experience them. So, like, I'll just throw myself into everything when I'm at Duke and try and figure out whatever I can. And yeah, I'll. There's no other medical device solutions I have right now because I don't have that experience yet. So that's the goal. So like once I go to Duke, I'll throw myself into these programs that they have. They have they have a program that basically lets undergrad students work at a hospital for like a month, um, like engineering students. And they try and find problems that the doctors don't see and they try to solve that. And so that's I'll try and get accepted there. And it's just it'll just be throwing myself in as much as I can to find those problems and find that idea for a startup. So yep. you're not thinking about a career in the army? <laughs> uh, probably not. But yeah. I have a lot of friends that are going into it. Um, yeah, I know at least like four kids who are going to Air Force. And Air a Force lot of is other... a safe bet. That's a, I, I, yeah. I, I had two choices when I, I applied to one college. When I was, this shows you just how motivated I was. I did. I just want to play music the rest of my life. I was like, yeah, I'll apply to one school, and if I don't get in, I'm going to go join the Air Force with my buddies. Well, I got in. So yeah. you know, yeah. That's, yeah, well, you know, here's well, what I love about what you just said, though. Southwick, you said, uh, you know, I haven't really thought of it because I don't have the experience. And I just want to stop you and say, since when did experience stop you? You know, <laughs> it's yeah. like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Jeez, man. Yeah. yeah. It's just, yeah, just uh, just really remarkable. I think um, you'll, you'll begin. I mean, humility is 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 great. You know what I mean? Like that, that really. But. But the things that you the, the way that you see things. It'll take you a little time, probably, I think, to acknowledge how uh, remarkable your perspective is. But people, I mean, people will will start to see it. And they'll gravitate towards that 100%, you know, because it's unique. It really is a unique perspective, yes. um, especially, I mean, that's one of the reasons we wanted to have you on is because, you know, you're that shining example of exactly what this, you know, what this little podcast is all about. It's all about silver linings. It's all about people making the best out of a bad situation. And I mean... Holy smokes. Uh, I mean, it wasn't just you making the best out of it for yourself. It was you yep. making the best out of it for so many other people. I mean, you've impacted the lives of literally thousands of people, like yeah. medical professionals. I, you know what I mean? Like there's a there's a domino effect to what, you know, to what you've done. You, know, yep. you think, you know, putting a medical clasp that can make it tolerable to be protected all day long so that the people that they then interact with have a better experience. Yeah. They're stressed. All I mean, you could just it just goes on and on. Just you, you know, you're that little drop in the your little little drop in the river with the with the ripples fanning out from it. Yeah, yeah. and you brought Paul to tears too. So 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the goal, I guess, to have that impact. And yep, I I feel like the pandemic is like bringing back to the overall idea of the podcast is like what's given me all the time to do these things. Like I would never had that time. I would have came. I would come back home at four o'clock after school, being extremely tired, take a nap until like six. And I would I wouldn't have that time. Like it's it's the pandemic that's given me this extra time to do the stuff that I want to do. So yeah, that's why I like the idea of this podcast itself. Someone needs to look into those those silver linings because 20 years from now, when there's kids that like don't remember anything about this, they'll be like, it was just another thing. But I feel like people need to remember like what happened because it's all going back pretty fast for us right now. But when people like look back in the history books, it's going to be like all of this stuff happened in 12 months. Really? I don't believe that, but it did. So that's yeah. what, that's what I like about this podcast, especially. Well, if we become the historical record on the COVID-19 experience <laughs> in America, I tell you what, we oh, no. are screwed. Yeah. But, but no, you're, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a really good way to look at stuff because that, uh, we, we have a really short-term memory. Um, yes. And that's something I, – I think that's part of that too is just the nature of, of the country being so young too. I mean we, we go through stuff uh, you know, that a lot of people didn't even know about you know, the 1918 Spanish flu epidemic. They didn't know about it until COVID. They're like, oh, this reminds us of this. And everybody's like, what are you talking about? What is that? Yeah. Right? Because we, yeah. we, we gloss over those things. We don't want to actually face the pain and go, man, yeah, this is how we overcame this. So yeah, this is, this is a unique time. Um, yep. What I think is really remarkable about what you've done is that all of us, no matter how old you are, we're faced with a situation. And the only thing that we can control is the actions that we take in that situation. And yep. so uh, you made the decision to move in this direction and put your talent, your time and energy into solving a problem. And that is very unique. And I know you might be thinking, Hey, doesn't everybody do that? No, they don't. I mean, the vast majority of people don't. And, and the vast, and that's just normal, right? Yeah. So there are those unique people, the, the innovators, the disruptors, the ones who are truly that way, not just the ones, you know, who get to say that because, you know, they work at a big company, but who are, who are uh, blazing ahead and at your age and what you're doing um, and the foundation that you have, with your, you know, the way that you look at the world, uh, that's something that I'm excited about. I mean, I've got two young kids, so to know there's people like yourself who are moving ahead, have that mentality and that that worldview, uh, that always gives me hope for uh, for my kids' future. Because, you know, if it's if it's left to people like Paul or people like myself, no, nah. <laughs> sorry, I can never you know, throw out a serious thing without trying to like, you know, bring Paul down because hey, I've yeah. got self-esteem. Yeah. But no, in all seriousness, I really appreciate what you're doing, man. It's really good. Yep. And to like bring it back to what you said about that's pretty normal for people to have just regular life. Like I don't, a lot of my peers that I've worked with, like with the research and stuff, they like to put down those kids are just having fun playing video games. Mm-hmm. But like, I, I think it, you should, a regular life is something worth living. Like you don't have to be that totally. trailblazer, that changer, like having fun, like going hiking, doing some random stuff, going out with your friends. That's fine. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't, I've had a lot of experience with people putting down people just cause they don't want to be that, that far uh, forward and they just want to chill. So that's, yeah. I, I like how you brought it back to having a normal life is fine. And like, that's, that's a cool thing to do as well. Oh, it is, man. I mean, it helps me and Paul wrestle with the fact that we didn't do anything as cool as you have at 17. But <laughs> no. more importantly, it's if I like to say this a lot, if everybody's a leader, nobody would be a leader, right? Yeah. If everybody's innovator, innovation wouldn't exist. 
You see, so there, it's not something that everybody has to do. I think what you just have to do is just be who you are. And this is who you are, right? Yep. It doesn't sound to me at all like anybody was pressuring you to do this. It's more of, yep. no, you just had the discipline, the time management, and the desire to do it, and you did it. And if somebody has you know, the desire to do something else, let them do it. That's cool. That's that's a wonderful thing is we get to make our decisions and, and our choices and uh, and see what comes out of this. So, yeah. Yep. Like um, like you said, my, my parents, they never put that pressure on me to like do stuff specifically. I think they probably stopped looking at my grades in seventh grade. They just let me alone. So <laughs> awesome. I think if you're, if your parents put you, if like, if you're a parent and you put your like child in a pressure cooker, they're going to eventually crack. And I know a lot of people that were amazing in high school, but the second they got to college, all that pressure just came off and they just gave up. And yeah, I think you should let people go how they want to go instead of forcing them into like your image. So like, yeah, yeah. That, that's my idea on that. What do you think about that, Paul, since you've got kids that are South fixed age, are you a pressure cooker parent? No, no, nope. I, uh, <laughs> nope. I mean, but it's hard to say who knows. Maybe, you know, maybe we, maybe we do. I mean, we're very much, you know, very much focused on letting them figure stuff out, you know, and, and you know, it's, it's interesting. You said at the beginning, we we're talking about, I think, regulation and understanding that most regulations come from a good place. Well, that's the same thing with, you know, with with like with parents who are uh, overprotective of their children. Um, don't let them experience failure. Don't let them build up resiliency, all these kind of things where I think a lot of, you know, a lot of kids, a lot of families are headed that way. Um, but it all comes from a good place. Like nobody wants to see their children suffer. Like we yeah. all, you know what I mean? Like, like this idea that you're, you're trying to protect somebody, trying to make their lives better. That that's, there's all good intent behind that. You know what I mean? And understanding that is, gives you some grace and some ability to understand why people do that. But no, I know we, uh, we, we pretty much, we pretty much let them figure it out. I mean, if you don't, then, you, you know, Southwick at the age of 17 has the wisdom to understand that that doesn't work out so well. You know, you have to, you have to have that, that, um, you have to have the ability to fail. That's where, you know, that's where growth comes from for sure. You know? Yep. Um, yeah, but I mean, Hey, look, um, the, you're a remarkable young guy. I mean, I am incredibly grateful to, uh, to coach, for introducing us, for giving us this opportunity to hear about your experience. It is very inspiring. If you don't know that, someday you will. Um, but it is an inspiring story. And, you know, I always tell people, because I work around a lot of young guys at, at on Fort Bragg um, who are trying to be Green Berets. And I always tell people, look, if you have any doubt about the future of this country, about, you know, the the about the solvency of the next generation, just come on down here. And let me introduce you to these guys and they will exalt your spirit. They'll lift you up and you will be your faith will be renewed. You're exactly that same kind of guy. You're the kind of guy that people will look at, listen to, reflect on your accomplishments and you will give people hope and restore faith because, I mean, you're you are the next generation and you are showing just unbelievable promise. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's just been great. We really appreciate you taking some time to hang out with us. You have helped us to achieve something which has never been achieved before on the show. I think we went a full hour without swearing. So that's great. I mean, that's we gonna, did. We can actually put a G rating on this one. Definitely. As long as Paul doesn't mess up the intro with it. Yeah. 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 So, I think Mr. Nicholas said hell one time in the middle. Might have to. Have to oh, I did. Yeah. Oh well, man. They, well, there you go, man. So I'm to bleep it out. One. Sorry I about make that. A t-shirt that says that. Oh, for for South Fix sheltered ears. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I've heard yeah. a lot worse in the American school system. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, that's what my 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 son used to my my youngest, who's a freshman. He's just a freshman at Jackford this year. We'd oh. say something, and he and and he would say, and you know, because Paul's one year behind you, and then Benjamin's a freshman, and he would, you know, we'd see something on TV and get kind of squirrely about it, and Benjamin would just kind of rather drolly look over and be like, "Hey, listen, he's like, I've been in middle school, I've seen it all." So. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, apparently, apparently it's a real jungle in the uh, new century <laughs> middle school. <laughs> yep. Oh, man. Well, you know, Southwick, we typically end, end the show by saying, hey, what's been your silver lining? But, you know, if there's anything you want to add, it sounds like the whole thing that you've been sharing with us has been the silver lining, your ability to do all of this. But is there is there anything, you know, for you personally, outside of what you've shared with us that's uh, that this pandemic has allowed you to either realize, experience, anything else on top of what you've already shared with us? Yeah. Um, I'd say the silver lining is like the turmoil itself that we had that chance to like reflect on something. Cause prior to 2020 life was just going on. I feel like day in day out, but I feel like the turmoil itself of 2020 gave us that chance to reflect. And I feel like that's kind of silver lining. If that's not too philosophical, like oh man yeah that's what the whole show is about too so it's yeah. just like i'm just thinking now we should get him to be our third our third host on this show <laughs> and, then, and then he'll figure out a way to get rid of us and you know it well that's what i was thinking i was thinking he could be the second host and i could just dump him. <laughs> I mean, listen pal you're the co-host i'm the host i call the shots here <laughs> sorry hey, Stop, go ahead this we always awesome, have to make man. it about us yeah, yeah. We, we really appreciate it it's been a pleasure we appreciate your time and uh i am certain if you know if this show isn't canceled you know uh uh vilified if jared doesn't drop dead of a heart attack uh and we're still and we're still doing this in a few years we're going to have you back and you're going to have accomplished something else remarkable and it'll be exciting to see yeah. hopefully I'll, I'll be sure to be back it's really yeah. cool i've never done anything like this before and it's like a really cool experience so yeah. if if i do anything in the future if 22 year old sadhvik has done something amazing i'll be sure to come back oh, all right man sadhvik well let me can can i ask a favor of you Sure. Now, yeah. Paul wouldn't ask you this right out, but could you accept his friend request on Facebook? Because he's <laughs> he is kind of he's kind of getting upset a little bit about it, you know. Earlier, I, I, if you I can do that, I appreciate. Facebook, it. Oh well, that explains it, Paul. It's not that he didn't want to connect with you. Yeah, yeah I don't Facebook. have Facebook, so sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> See, like, right, the I'm kid's gonna, wisdom yeah. is so much. Like he's like, I don't have Facebook. You know what? Facebook. I don't think I don't think guys of Southwick's generation, many of them, a lot of them don't have it. My kids don't have it. Yep. I. I yeah. Why? I, they, I know we're about age. to cut out here, but tell me, you know, because I, I, I've, I've looked into this as well. I think it's absolutely fascinating. But what, uh, for, for real quick here, you know, what, why is it? You know, what's your, uh, your idea around that? Um, I feel like the age group of like the major social medias is like the oldest use Facebook, then Twitter, then Instagram, then Snapchat, and then like TikTok. So like I'm in the Instagram, Snapchat like area. Ah. So. Ah. Are you so not the in the clubhouse is, area? Are you not in that in that area yet? That's the I newest one. That is. Oh, exactly. It's invite only, man. I'm so glad that I'm I'm more hip to that new technology. <laughs> so, yep. yeah, so you're in the the Instagram, Snapchat. Is that what yeah, you said? Yeah, I guess so. You're yeah. in that in that crowd there. When I when I got my phone, no one else had Facebook, so I'm like, why should I get it? So, I guess that's why. That's why. That's why Mark Zuckerberg bought Instagram, so he could get yeah. our he could get our money too. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Oh, geez. Well, thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Well, we will probably maybe we'll have you back on just to talk about. Hey, give us some insight into this. Yeah. <laughs> the generational so perspective on social media. All right, man. Hey, thank Sophie, you so much. It's been great. Yeah, we appreciate it. If you made it this far, you either fell asleep, are trapped under something heavy, 
or were genuinely interested in the episode. If you fell asleep, get some rest. If you're trapped under something heavy, get some help. If you were genuinely interested in the episode, tell your friends. Like, subscribe, share, download, do all those things. Press all those buttons. Spread the word. No matter how you got this far, we sincerely appreciate it. Thank you for listening.